from Exodus 16, verse 1 to 8. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Well, it's good to be back here again. And uh, what I'm going to do is ask you a question and to look at the screen. How many of you know this person? Does anyone know who that person is? Wow. Did you want to get that response? But this is Marie Kondo, and she has become a worldwide icon for. And if you don't know, what comes to mind when you see this person? Well, if you've watched TV, you will know that she had a Netflix show that might come to mind. Or maybe if you know Marie Kondo, this might come to mind. This phrase, does it spark joy? That's a very Marie Kondo phrase. But I'm hopefully for most people, when you see Marie Kondo, this is what comes to mind. A messy house or a messy cu- uh, cupboard. Because Marie Kondo, She's a celebrity, a household name. Why? Because she has a method to declutter. She has a method to declutter life, whether it's clothes, whether it's kitchen, whether it's a whole house. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, in my life, my life is cluttered. Just look at my inbox. Just look at my desk. Just look at where I live. So how do you get rid of this accumulated mess? How do you thin out the excess? And how do you organise life better so that after you thin out the excess, you don't just go back to accumulating more again? And so my family, we watched one episode of Marie Kondo and she landed in our house and life was different because this is what happened. This is my daughter, and that <laughs> is her drawer. Wow. It changed. And then I thought, well, it's going to affect my daughter. it affect other people? This is my drawer. Whoa. It's going to affect my drawer. Everything is now neat. Everything is ordered. But for some members of our family, we thought there would be no grief on that. We him as he is. Well, we just accumulated mess alone. See, over time, we accumulate things in our life so much so that they build up gradually and then it becomes a tipping point. When the weight is too much to bear, and we need to declutter. We need to thin out the excess. We need to lighten the load and get organised. 
Well, welcome today. If you haven't been, my name's Mark Leon, and I'm here uh, for three weeks, and you're in the middle of our series called The Lull, Living in Between. And last week, we defined the lull as this. The lull is the in-between zone when life is buffering. So it's often after or in between two peaks in life, two events, and then you've got that in-between zone, that time in the middle when life just seems to be buffering. See, what are you trying to do when life is for buffering? You're just going through the motions. What happens when we're caught between those two things? And what does God say when you are in the lull that makes a difference. Because in the lull, we accumulate not just stuff, but experiences and memories. They just stack up. In the lull, we grumble. In the lull, we complain. Sometimes situations that keep on stacking up hurt us. Now, by themselves, these things are quite small, but when life is buffering, and it all stacks up. There comes a point when it's just too heavy, where there's a tipping point. And if we don't think like that, if we don't thin out the excess, if we don't figure out how to organise these experiences and memories, then eventually we'll break. As followers of Jesus, sometimes it's the unexpected dramatic event which tips us over. But more often than not, it's the slow, steady accumulation which followers of Jesus find harder to manage. So, let's go back to God's people, let's go back to the book of Exodus and see how they lived in the Bible. And today's talk will be divided into three parts. The first part, we're going to ask the question, what are God's people prone to do when they live in the Bible? I will look at God's people in Exodus. The middle part, well, what does God say and do while they're there, while they are in the lull? And the final part, what difference then does knowing Jesus make? So three parts to today's talk. The first part, what are God's people prone to do? Well, this is Daniel Cameron. Uh, he is a Nobel Prize winner. He's a TED Talk speaker and he's a behavioural economist. And in his book, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, he examines how memories work. And what he discovered was very fascinating. See, when we remember, our memories are not like a stack of chairs. You know, you have some good experiences, so you stack up, you have more chairs. But if you have a bad experience, you take off some chairs. You know, if you have a very good experience, you even stack higher. But if you have a very bad one, you take more off. He's saying, no. That is not how our memories work. It's not like a stack of chairs. But when we remember, our memories are highly selective. In fact, we are shaped by a peak experience and the last experience. The peak and the last determine the whole recollection. So in 2017, Adele landed in Sydney. There were 95,000 people packed into a stadium and they heard three hours worth of entertainment. Can you imagine you're there? Finally, Adele has come, you hear her live, you're with 95,000 other people. But 
at the end of the concert, there's a two-hour <laughs> wait in the car park. It's just cars stacked on each other. How do you remember the evening? Well, all you remember is that end experience. Even though you had three hours of entertainment, it's the two hours of waiting that make you that leaves this impression that the evening was done. Because the end shaped everything else. It wasn't about the length of the good, you had three hours of entertainment, but you had to wait two hours. It's not a trade-off. It's the bad ending that eclipses everything else. And so you remember this evening as art and what See, our memories aren't an accumulation. They're not a balancing act between good and good and bad. But your memories are highly selective. The peak and the, the peak and the end shape the whole. And I've explained this because that is exactly what's happening with God's people in the life. Let's read it. The whole Israelite community set up from England and came to the desert of Sin. Now, if you're ever going to go to a place called the Desert of Sin, I don't think you should go there because bad things are going to happen. It's just a bad name. Would you go to the desert? Let's not go there. But they decided to go. The whole Israelite community set up from England and came to the Desert of Sin, which is between England and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. See, for a long time, as I read this part of the Bible, I thought God's people, they had amnesia. They were just forgetful. You know, their memories were faulty. But as I look closer at these three verses, I've realised they're not forgetful. Their memories are in fact working fine. In fact, their memories are perfect. They have a crystal clear recollection, but it's selective. It's only a certain event. Can you see how very detailed and specific their memory of Egypt is? It's not vague or ambiguous. It's detailed and precise. Why are they selected? Firstly, they're selected. Whoops. They're selected. Look at the quality. They've selected, hey, you know what? I remember Egypt. We ate meat. See? Quality. Remembered very clearly. But not just quality, they also remembered quantity. It's not the quality, it's the quantity as well. We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we want. Is this an ambiguous memory? No, this is very precise. Meat and lots of it. And then they even remember the state they were in. Look. There we sat. In Egypt, we were able to rest. But while we were here, Moses, what are we? Are we eating meat? No, we've got this boring travel food that we're packed. The quantity? In Egypt, we had so much more. It was a buffet, but now we have to ration things out. Look at the state. You know, in Egypt, we sat, we rested, and now you're making us work. We're always on the move. Can you see how their memories 
I'm working fine. It's very detailed. It's just selective. See, in the law, there are two actions that God's people are prone to do. One, God's people are prone to look back and remember, but they don't realise it's highly selective. The peak end rule kicks in and they're blinded to all the other events that happen in Egypt. They don't realise their memory is biased, but they do remember. And the second thing that God's people are prone to do is this. They're prone to grumble. In the desert, a whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Why did they grumble? Well, it's because of the accumulation. I mean, let's think about it. Travel food, two-minute noodles. Come on, two-minute noodles isn't bad, is it? I mean, meat is good, but instant noodles is part of a healthy diet. Ask any male who's lived by themselves, and they'll know two-minute noodles, you eat a lot of that, and they turn out okay. So travel food isn't of itself bad. Two-minute noodles is a good example. You know, having, not to feast, but having portion control. You know, being on a diet, well, that's not bad either, because you don't need a buffet every time. And you know, where it was people, they're in the desert. But you know, we have a lonely planet for the desert, so the desert isn't a bad place to be. See, each of these three things aren't a killer blow that you complain about, but when you combine them on each other, when these accumulate over time, for God's people, it was the breaking point. And so they grumbled. See, it's the day by day, living in the lull, the gradual build up, that until there's a combined break in our life. And then we ask, maybe even grumble, God, we only have done this differently. God, if only you had given us better food or more food. God, if you only had let us rest a bit longer. That was them, but how about us today? God, if only, really, they had a different job. God, if I could live in a different city. God, if I could work in a different team. God, if only I could have a different life stage and move on. Can you hear how they're echoed? in us. So, two questions. How do we order the accumulation of those experiences in our life? How can we thin out that excess as it builds up? Because it will build up in the life. What does God do to help us be kind of? Question number one. And question number two. What does God do with our selected memory? If all of us automatically have selected memories, what does God do about that? And which experiences should we select? Well, let's move to the middle part of the book and ask ourselves, but what does God do? And let's go back to the passage. Let's look at verse 4. Uh, so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling. 
does anything catch you by surprise as you look at these verses? How does God respond to their grumbling? This is what struck me. God responds to their grumbling by hearing it. Because he has heard your grumbling against there are two children, aged eight and five, and they grumble. And whenever they grumble, I have the urge to just tell them to stop. Stop complaining, which actually is just me grumbling against their grumbling. Let's be honest, we're both grumbling about it. But God hears his people's grumbling. And rather than telling us to stop and shut up, he acts in kindness to them. He refines them. And that's what we saw in the first book. Last week, God is not just the healer, but he's the physio as well. He actually changes us and gives us better habits. See, the first way to declutter the accumulation in our life, to thin out that excess, is to realise that God is not deaf to our grumbling. He actually hears it. God knows that in the lull, when life is stuck on mockery, that the experience in the life do your love. And he doesn't say, just be quiet, Mark. He says, no, I'm willing to listen to your rumblings, and I'm willing to carry some of that load for you. That's what we can see in one Peter chapter 5 or 7. Cast all your anxiety on God, for He cares for you. God hears our grumbling and He takes the load off our shoulders. And that is surprising. But what does God do? He doesn't stop there. As we go back to uh, um, Exodus chapter 4 to 8, oh, 16 verse 4 to 8, let's look at that passage. Can we see how God deals with each of their details that they remembered? Can you see it? Let's read it again. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Whoops, uh, that was a misplaced slide. Let me go back to that. So, this is what we saw, um, how Moses responds to um, their complaint. And have you know, did you notice, what were the three things they complained about? The quality, the quantity, and the state. Right? Quality, we ate meat. Quantity, we have lots, and the state, we got to rest. And this is how Moses responds. What is, uh, as he shared what God has, is going to say to What he say? You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat. So, instead of grumbling, we ate meat. And God's response is, I'm going to give you meat to eat. What else did they grumble? They grumble, hey, you know, in Egypt, we had all the food we wanted. And so God says, hey, and all the bread you want in the morning. What did they grumble? We ate all the food. And God says, hey, you're going to get all the bread you want. 
If you look at the state, remember? In Egypt, they got to rest. And God says, on the sixth day, they have to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Why do you think God said you have to gather twice as much on the sixth day? So on the seventh day, you can rest. So again, we see, they grumbled, hey, we got to sat, we, we sat and ate in Egypt, and God said, hey, on the seventh day, we can just do that. Can you see what God's doing here? Surely, if you were God, it would have been very easy to say to God's people, hey, you know what, I've heard your grumbling, but come on, people. Do you remember what just happened before at Mara? You were thirsty and I gave you water. I mean, let's go back in time. Come on, people. Do you remember when you were in Egypt? You were slaves in Egypt. Do you know what? I rescued you. Do you remember what happened to Pharaoh? Do you remember what happened to He could have done that. But does he? He doesn't. God could have also said, surely it would have been easier for God to say, you know what, hey, yes, I've heard your grumbling, but let's not focus on the past, let's focus on the future. I'm going to take you to the promised land where I'm going to feed you and take care of you. So just wait it out. Both of these options are true. God could have said that and he would not be lying. But here, in this table, you see, when God hears their grumbling, how does he respond? The God of the Bible gets down into the nitty-gritty details of their life, and here he provides an alternate memory for them. It's as if God calls out their selective memory and says, hey, your memory's selective, and now I'm going to give you a better memory of it at every single level. See, God here is reordering their memories by providing a better option. And in doing so, God allows them to live a better story. Here we see God is showing to people that he is always the better option. And here we see God goes to great lengths to prove it at every level. For the people in Egypt, they complain about quantity, quality, and state. And God has had already quantity, quality, and state. Now that sounds like a very, very big promise. And maybe there are some doubts about it. Does the God of the Bible really do this for me? And if that is you, all you need to do is take a look back at the very first Easter. And as you see Jesus come out across and come back to life, you see the bread of life given from heaven, broken for you, so that you might enjoy him. There you see God going to great lengths to prove to you that at every level he is a better option. 
How does God respond in the love? Well, firstly, He gives you a way to clean out the excess because He takes the load. He listens. Cast your anxieties upon Him. And secondly, He calls out your selective memory and gives us an even better set of memories and so a better story to live by. So let's go to the final part of the talk and What difference then does Jesus make? Well, in an article titled titled Coping with Boredom at Work, tips on how to get through the day, and I will start I read, not for the word work, but I was just trying to figure out um, how do people cope with work. And he also made this observation, and that's what resonated with me and the workers that I dealt with. Of all the motivational problems that people encounter at work, the biggest may simply be getting through the day. Just like the working day, in the lull, motivation can wait. Just getting through this in-between period of life can be a weight too much for you to bear, especially when you don't know when the next pick is coming. Why? Because as life is buffering, experiences accumulate, and the weight gets heavier and heavier. Today, we have heard and seen in the God's people during the Exodus, who lived in that world, how God thins out that excess by saying, I hear you when you go and I'm willing to take some of that close. And secondly, he doesn't stop there. He does something even more. He calls out your selective memory and gives you even better memory to live by. He actually gives you a better story to live by. So what memories have you selected in your life? What do you what comes to mind when you're living in the world? Have you heard God's better story? Because that makes a difference. It makes a difference for today. It makes a difference for tomorrow and ultimately into eternity. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that in the world you don't abandon us. And even when we grumble, you don't tell us to go away and just cop it. Thank you that in the world you hear us and you invite us to cast our burdens onto you. Thank you that in the world that our minds are drawn to remember certain events, you give us another set of events to remember. In fact, you give us a better story to tell. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he gives us. Right now, and to return. Thank you.